Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. I think I can accurately speak for the entire Political Rewind team in saying we're really glad to be back with you for a brand new show uh, today. Uh, as many of you know, we last week we were on tape uh, for the week, uh, recorded had recorded uh, some pretty good shows with authors uh, to air last week. And uh, we're glad that we're back because we're only a week plus away from the uh, final day of voting in the Senate runoff elections. Um, early voting is going to end the end of this week. And remember, Friday is New Year's Day. Jim Galloway, am I right that early voting will end on Thursday? There's not weekend voting on the weekend before the actual election, is there? No, I believe you're right. I believe you're right. Uh, the then 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 you can vote only on Tuesday, and then all that's yep. over are the lawsuits. Yeah, that's right. And we'll be tracking those for weeks to come. I'm afraid to say. Um, I want Jim Galloway, and of course Jim Galloway is the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal Constitution, and uh, is my partner on the show on Mondays and Fridays. You read him in the paper on Wednesday and Sunday. And he oversees the political re, uh, insider blog at AJC.com. Uh, Galloway, um, we there was so much that happened in pol- political news in Georgia and in the country last week that I couldn't help but be reminded of a song in the Broadway musical Hamilton. And I know you and your wife, Judy, are fans of that show. The start of the second act, uh, Davy Diggs in the original production playing Thomas Jefferson, just back from a long stay in France, comes on stage, and he sings, What I Missed. (laughs) One of the great numbers in the show, What I Miss, What Did I Miss. Well, Jim, I'm feeling a little bit like that uh, in terms of our having not been here to uh, really tell our uh, listeners about all that's uh, going on. Uh, You love that show, right? Oh, absolutely, uh, and 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 our kids are just kind of mesmerized by it. Our our two do- grown daughters are. Well, all right, we're going to dig into what we missed this past week with our panel, including Jim Galloway. We also have the AJC's uh, Patricia Murphy, political reporter for the AJC, with us today. Hey, Patricia, how was your Christmas holiday? I have two eight-year-olds, and I mean, if you've ever spent Christmas yeah. morning with two eight-year-olds, you have enjoyed yourself. It's, there's yeah. no, there's nobody happier on earth than uh, than Christmas morning at that age. So it was fabulous. Yeah. Thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Um, we are also joined today from Augusta, Georgia, the mayor of Augusta, Mayor Hardy Davis. Um, we're really happy to have you back on the show, Mayor Davis. For people who don't know uh, you uh, before becoming what you're the eighty. 80- fourth mayor of Augusta. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's correct, Bill. The 84th mayor of uh, Augusta, Georgia's second largest city. Uh, but I have certainly spent uh, eight years of my life under the gold dome, three in the house and five yep. in the Senate. So, yep. yeah. Yep. Uh, that's just, just what I was going to point out. Politics. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah you, you know it really well. Thank you. for. Did you have a good Christmas, Mayor? We did. It was quiet. Uh, we're still resting and uh, just waiting until January to go back. Yeah. 
Um, we're joined finally today um, by Julianne Thompson, a longtime uh, activist in Georgia Republican uh, politics. Julianne, it's so nice to have you back on the show. It's been a while since you've been here. Thanks for being with us. And I assume you too had the best Christmas we can all make of these holidays, given the circumstances. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's very good to be back. And yes, it was it was a very nice Christmas. Um, we we were not able to have the large group that we usually had. My mother was not able to to come because we wanted to protect her. But you know, we did the best we could, and we were thankful to to have our family. Um, and yeah, it was it was a very good Christmas, despite everything going good. on. Good, good. I'm glad to hear that. All right, let's look at some numbers uh, to start our, our conversation off. Uh, today, Jim Galloway, the uh, coronavirus is taking an ever greater toll on the people of Georgia. On Christmas Eve alone, the State Department of Public Health reported more than 10,000 cases. Now, they say those are uh, proven cases and, and, and probable cases, but they're basing that on the two different tests. They, the rapid test they're now calling uh, probable cases, but combined more than 10,000 new cases just on Christmas Eve. Hospitalizations are up dramatically, and the uh, White House task force on the coronavirus is now reporting that Georgia, 83 of Georgia counties are in what they call the red zone, which means danger, trouble. This thing is only going to get bigger, and um, there just doesn't seem anything to slow it down right now, Jim. No, no, this is the 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 worst month. Uh, it's I think on record for Georgia now, and and we've still got three days to go. Uh, with with uh, and it's it's just putting just a, a terrible strain on 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 people. Uh, it's. It's. I'm. I'm hoping we're going to be avoiding all the uh, all the the New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve crowds. Uh, I. I think the, the the peach drop is is gone. Uh, I'm assuming that most bars are going to be uh, severely limited in 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 their clientele. I, I'm hoping anyway. It's, it's just. It's just. It's. It, it, it bodes ill for for the end of January. I, I really am. I'm frightened about what 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 the end of next month is going to bring. Mayor Davis, um, you're seeing Richmond County certainly has, has seen the virus. I think about 13,000 cases of COVID-19 in Richmond County, something over 100 people in the county have died. What kind of impact right now in at this late date in December is this having in your city itself on, on business, on individuals? How is it affecting the city? Well, it's affecting the city uh, in ways very similar that you see in other cities across the state of Georgia. Uh, we've had 12,000 cases already in Richmond. Uh, we've also had 218 people who have died. I consistently say those are not just numbers. Those are people. Those are loved ones, family members, et cetera, who we've lost as a result of this pandemic. Uh, we find ourselves challenged with the same cha uh, things that others are, and that is people are fatigued. We've heard so much about COVID, whether it's on the news, whether it's on the radio, whether it's in the newspaper, we've heard so much about it. And when the holidays come upon us, as they have in Christmas, you know, people tend to let the guard down. You look at 10,000 cases uh, in Georgia, uh, but more importantly, the strain that's now being placed on the healthcare system. 
our entire healthcare continuum across the state of Georgia, not just Augusta, uh, is being impacted. Our hospitalizations have gone up significantly, uh, 852 hospitalizations across Richmond County uh, as a result of COVID uh, over this course of the pandemic. In uh, one hospital alone, I've got 120 hospitalizations that are COVID-related right now. And uh, the numbers just continue to go up. So we've got a lot of work ahead of us. And this is even with a vaccine that's coming and not yet ready for the general public. So we've got a lot of work to do. Um, I'm going to get back to you on that because a little later in the show, I want to talk a bit about the fact that the president finally last night uh, signed after his uh, recalcitrance over it, the uh, COVID relief uh, bill, which will start uh, at some point. Uh, getting checks out to people who need them. And I want to come back to you and talk about where what that's going to mean to your citizens in Augusta, but we'll do that a little bit later in the show. Hey, Patricia, let me turn to another data set that I think is worth looking at today. Um, we mentioned that early voting will end at the end of this week, Thursday, really. Um, by the way, it's already too late probably to send in an absentee ballot, I think. Uh, the fact that it's going to be hard to get it processed before uh, by election day, given how the mails are working out. So you're better off going and voting early. But uh, Patricia, we now have well over 2 million people who have voted either in person or by mail. It's it's at the same time before the general, we had a couple hundred thousand more, but it's a remarkable number for a runoff election, Patricia. Well, I think it's reflective of how crucial these Senate runoffs are and how important Georgia voters understand them to be. Um, certainly that's in no small part probably due to all of the commercials on their television. But um, people, I think, are really sophisticated voters and understand that um, uh, the Biden presidency's uh, their, its ability to uh, enact some of its policies or to have them not even considered uh, rest on the fate of these two Senate seats. Um, a lot of what President Trump has done in office, uh, whether it will be maintained or discontinued, a lot of that rides on these two Senate seats. So people I talk to are very well aware of how important these two seats are. And I think they're certainly voting in those numbers also because people have just come off of experiences, especially with early and absentee voting, where it was so easy to do. I think they just think, why not just do it that way again? Um, I think it'll be interesting to see what our overall numbers look like. But so far, um, it's a voting system that is easy to engage with and uh, an election itself that is monumentally important. Um, Julianne, uh, it's interesting to drill down into some of the demographics of the vote. But one of the figures that stands out uh, for me and for a lot of people is that we there is at least 65,000 people who are voting in this runoff election who didn't vote in the November 3rd election. And we think that uh, if you really look at, at the demographics, that a lot of them are younger voters, suggesting they may very likely be voting for Democrats. Are, are you seeing anything in the numbers that gives you any sense of where we're headed uh, in terms of who wins this ra these races? This is an extremely tight race. There is no doubt about it. I mean, the, the polls... Um, the polls are definitely all within the margin of error, no matter who they are favoring. So this isn't any race that anyone can take for granted. Um, I, I think that um, 
that the notion that the commercials are really getting people out uh, to vote, I think that's very true. Uh, the airwaves have been saturated for quite some time with these commercials. Also, uh, digital, you cannot go on to social media and not see some sort of digital ad about the Senate runoff. And so by doing that, you see both sides, the Republicans as well as the Democrats, understanding the fact that younger voters, it's important to turn out younger voters, and they're reaching them digitally um, rather than through traditional media like they would reach out to the older voters on television. Um, but there's absolutely no doubt about the fact that this race is tight and uh, it's it's record spending. There's never been another race that is where they have spent this much, where they have raised this much. Um, it's the most expensive race in U.S. history. And it's also about the ground game. I mean, both sides have a strong get out the vote ground game um, when it comes to mobilizing the grassroots and getting them to the polls. They've really understood the importance of this race to both sides. So, I mean, there is absolutely no way that I can call this race whatsoever, um, given the way the polling is. But from what I am seeing and what I am hearing as a Republican from my side of the aisle, um, the enthusiasm is certainly there, and people are showing up to the polls. Uh, Bill, one thing um, I, I know we were we were talking about absentee voting and mail mail in voting, but I think it's very important. Something that happened yesterday is is pretty important, and that is, of course, Donald Trump announced that he was going to be coming down here. He's not he's not going to be making a trip here. Uh, the the, the uh, Patricia later on uh, as as we go can explain why Dalton is important. But he's not going to appear here until January 4th, Monday, January 4th. The, the uh, in-person voting, the last day of in-person voting is on January 5th. And that tells me that, that Republicans are, 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 are betting the store on, on, a, on beating Democrats on the final day of voting. Yeah, that makes you know, a, a sense to me. I know, Mayor Davis, you want to jump in and then, Patricia, I want you to respond to what Jim just said. Yeah, two things, uh, maybe three. One, uh, if you have an absentee ballot, you can put that under Dropbox. Uh, I do agree that if you try to put it in the mail, you may be challenged. But if you have a Dropbox location, drop it under Dropbox, your vote will still be counted. I think Julianne said some things that are really critical, and that is young voters are being mobilized. They're going out to the polls. And while we've got record turnout already, we certainly don't have an idea of whether they're picking up a Republican ballot, Democrat ballot. We don't have the data on that. You know, we're not necessarily doing an exit polling, but I will say that on both sides uh, of the island of this race, people are being mobilized in ways that we've not done before. Certainly the digital ads, they themselves are even more targeted right now. We've got ads that are Augusta-specific uh, by the Warnock campaign and the Ostov campaign that are Augusta-specific. You would have never seen that happen just because of resource limitations. And so I think this is going to be a bellwether moment for the state of Georgia uh, as we move forward. Uh, but, you know, again, I think it's a tight race and uh, we'll see what happens. Um, Bill, I think what uh, Jim is talking about, the reason that Dalton is so important and the reason that the president is heading to Dalton, not only is it, of course, GOP rich territory, uh, but thanks to Georgia votes, we have this broken down by congressional district. And um, in terms of which congressional districts are coming out um, in force, uh, in, in the early vote, um, the 5th Congressional District is well overperforming where it was at this point in the early vote in, 
in the November election. The 14th district, which is Marjorie Taylor Greene's, uh, her, her incoming district, that is uh, meaningfully off where it was mm-hmm. at this point before the 2020 election. So the early vote there is not coming in <clears throat> in the equal number that it had been uh, heading into November. And that should be concerning to Republicans um, because that is a surefire bet where the Republicans have to run up their numbers to um, to make up for losses that they're having in the suburbs, those exurbs and the um, rural communities where they could just bank those votes and they don't seem to be coming in in the same volume. Um, and uh, I think that's important. Julianne? Uh, yes, yeah, so I was going to circle back on something that the mayor said a few minutes ago, because I think it's very, very important. He talked about this being a bellwether moment um, for for elections in Georgia. It's also a bellwether moment for um, what he referred to, you know, as targeting specifically Augusta voters. That micro-targeting and campaigning is something that we are seeing um, being done uh, digitally now and being done in ways that we were not able to do it before. And I've said before on this very show that too many campaigns are focusing on metrics and benchmarks, doors knocked and, uh, you know, quotas made as far as as calls um, are concerned. But that is not what is driving people out to the polls. What is driving people out to the polls is that personal connection that we are making through micro-targeting on both sides of the political aisle because we are learning what we knew a long time ago and seem to forget in the digital age, and that is that people respond to a personal relationship, what they feel is a personal relationship with that particular candidate, and they get that through this micro-targeting when people are reaching out to specific communities based on what is important to that community and that individual voter. And I hope that that's something that we take forward and move forward uh, in with with regard to the Republican Party. Um, Julianne, it's Patricia. Um, I have been hearing from Republicans not as much about what turning them out to the polls, but what could keep them away from the polls. And when I've covered Trump events, I was just out uh, to see Ivanka Trump. And I mean, there were must have been close to a thousand people in Milton who were so eager and devoted and dedicated to get out and to see her. Um, I did not talk to a voter there who believed that the last election was valid. They didn't trust the last election, and they don't trust the upcoming election. They don't believe that the votes will be counted fairly in January. And um, all of those voters said, all of those Trump supporters said they are going to vote, and they are going to vote for both Republican senators. They also said they know people who are not going to vote. And I want to find out from you if you think that is a real dynamic among Republicans. Um, both do they have less trust in the election now after after November? And do you think that's going to translate in January? Well, I think that there is a concerted effort by um, by some people who are very unfortunate in their tone that are insisting um, that people not get out and vote uh, for the the Senate candidates and um, and they're claiming to be Republican and claiming to support the Republicans, but at the same time telling people not to 
you know, to show some sort of rebellion against the system by not voting in January. And that is the absolute worst thing that people could possibly listen to. Um, and, you know, there there is a political action committee on the left that also has signs around the state of Georgia that's saying Trump wasn't there for these candidates, don't be there, or, or these candidates weren't there for Trump, so don't vote for them. Um, and that is tying in, unfortunately, with the message that some people who are supposed to be Republican are also uh, trying to to rile up a lot of people into not voting in January. And that's I think that is um, that is feeding into what you are talking about. And it's extremely unfortunate. Uh, but the Republican Party as a whole. I mean, they are very, very enthusiastic and understand what is at stake. Republican voters who are not necessarily party activists also understand what's at stake. And um, Republicans are turning out in record number as well. You know, I think what's in interesting about this is that I mentioned this being a bellwether moment for the state of Georgia. Uh, at the end of the day, what we find ourselves facing is the reality of it being people are not sure who Republicans are right now. You've got pro-Trump lawyers who are calling for Georgia runoff boycotts. You've got uh, a conversation about two Georgia Senate runoffs and then a third Senate runoff, whatever that means. And so you've got all of these very loose conversations going on, and I think that's played well into the hands of our Democratic candidates uh, as it relates to getting people out to vote, whether that's voting by mail, whether that's going to the polls early, and that certainly – and my mind will translate into a strong turnout on election day, which is what this voter mobilization is really all about. You've got to turn people out on January 5th as well. And the early voting is great. We're excited about that, but it has to be sustained over the long haul until 7 p.m. on January the 5th. Uh, but you've got all of these conversations and then for uh, the president to show up on the day before the elections. I'm not sure that's going to play very well particularly in light of the fact that you've got all of these other specious conversations going on, uh, because people largely will have made decisions about what they're going to do uh, when it comes to who they're going to vote for. Um, Bill, one of the more interesting things that we, that we weren't able to talk about last week was a was a, a, a poll commissioned by 11 Alive, the Atlanta TV station, by, by Survey USA. And and it 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 showed uh, uh, both uh, John Ossoff and and Raphael Warnock up by uh, four or five points, I believe. But I, and I've never seen this in a in a polling memo before. But it says, "Don't believe our results." Uh, it, it said, uh, you know, it just it described the Senate race as a hot mess, <laughs> totally unpredictable, and it said anybody who is actually depending on this poll to 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 read results is is, is mistaken. But the the only the only thing the the, the one thing I, I will draw from it, and this gets to to what the mayor and and and, and Julianne both were saying, is that it 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 showed that the greatest suspicion of of voting of of the election and the and the the greatest reluctance to participate in another vote were among uh, very very conservative voters and that is something that the yeah. GOP has to worry about yeah you know I, I i first of all i have to say this is one of those panels that i love most because all i have to do is ask one question and then i turn it over to you and you can run the show and i'm i feel like the conductor of an orchestra who 
doesn't ever say anything. He just lets the players go. You, you're wonderful, and I appreciate that. And we're going to keep that up in the next segment. Um, I, I do think it's. I do want to say one quick thing um, about a comment you made, Mayor Davis. Um, it is interesting that Trump comes here the night before the election. Now, Mayor Davis, I do have to get to a break in a minute, but you've run on a lot of campaigns. It strikes me that, as you said, by the time the seven o'clock, the night before the election day begins, people have pretty well locked into what they are or are not going to do. Now, I don't doubt that maybe the president can stir up some enthusiasm in the crowd that's up there in Dalton, but it does seem to me it comes awfully late. Uh, and and it also strikes me that he brings in with him some significant baggage uh, because we're going to talk about it in the next segment. The president signs, uh, he's now signed the, the COVID relief bill and the continuing resolution, but he's also told Mitch McConnell he'd better get to work on a $2,000 uh, payout to people who need the money. And that's not going to happen, likely, between now when, when President Trump comes in next week which still leaves Kelly Leffler and David Perdue in a somewhat precarious position. So I, I think the president's visit may be problematic for Republicans by virtue of timing and the president's approach to COVID relief. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more, Bill. I, I would be very cautious uh, as a candidate on the Republican side uh, with that, especially if I'm trying to bring uh, moderate Republicans to the conversation uh, that's not what's happening right now. You've got far extremes, uh, especially with some of these really crazy conversations, even as it relates to the validity of the elections and people's ability to vote. Uh, we've got to remind ourselves, Georgia has been in Republican hands since 2002. And since that time, we've had a series of conversations as it relates to election law. Uh, there's always the cleanup bill. All of that has happened. We've gone from 45 days to 21 days on the Republican leadership and to now have the Secretary of State suggest, well, we've just got too many days for early voting, I just don't think that smacks well uh, in the light of, uh, as Patricia said it, we've got informed electorate out there. They pay attention, they've been paying attention, and they know why it's important to go to the polls. Okay, that's it for the first segment of the show. I went way long, so let me get to a break right now and come back with this great panel in just a minute. You're listening to Political Rewind. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. AJC is in the House and well represented on today's Political Rewind. Uh, Jim Galloway, Patricia Murphy are with us. So is uh, Augusta Mayor Hardy Davis and our friend, Republican strategist Julianne Thompson for our first show back after a week of shows on tape, catching up on all the news. Um, Galloway, let me let me uh, uh, turn to you on, on, first of all, let me get you to respond to this question that I raised at the end of the last segment, and that is this. Uh, President Trump signs the COVID relief bill, 
which is a relief for Leffler and Purdue. Uh, they, Purdue had already been running spots, taking a lap, a victory lap, because the bill uh, had gone to to the president for his signature. The Ossoff folks went to TV stations that said, take that ad off, it's not accurate. Um, okay, now it is. But the president added a wrinkle. He said his excuse for signing the bill was, oh, well, I've talked to McConnell, and the leader is now going to introduce a measure to raise the uh, payout to individuals around the country to $2,000. That is very unlikely to happen, certainly before uh, uh, the end of the session. And so, in a way, Leffler and Purdue are still going to be held accountable for the fact that the checks aren't going to be what the president claims he wants. Isn't that still a liability for them? It, it, it's 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 a somewhat of a liability, but 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 just think of the bullet that they do- just dodged. Uh, oh yeah. As of as, <laughs> as as of as of midnight Monday, had this bill not been signed, we were going to have a federal shutdown in the midst of a pandemic, and and uh, all of, we have all of these protections and 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 unemployment benefits that were going uh, would have uh, expired. Uh, the situation is far better for for Leffler and and Purdue this morning. I think clearly, uh, uh, Purdue was out with a with kind of a, a, a an email blast uh, at six thirty this morning, uh, uh, rag, uh, ragging on John Ossoff for calling this bill uh, a, a joke. Uh, what he didn't say was that the, what, what they what they left out was the fact that uh, that Trump had called it just three days earlier a disgrace. So, yeah. so that yeah, there there is there is that, and and uh, and Democrats will 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 certainly try to t- take advantage of it, but it's not as bad as it could be. Uh, and Bill, I want to do a quick fact check on what the president said in his statement um, when he said that he's gone through with a red line, line by line. Um, that's not a real thing at this point in a presidency. There's no line <laughs> item veto, but then also there's something called. The Impoundment Control Act, a very sexy piece of legislation um, that does give presidents 45 days to complain to Congress and freeze funds and request that those be spent elsewhere. Um, There are 23 days left in this president's term. Uh, That 45 days is is just not going to happen. And so he has sort of He's like the arsonist and the fire department all at once. He's like started a fire, put the fire out, said that he has called, you know, social services to come in and help everybody. There is there's no social services. You know, the solution that he has said is the reason he signed it does not exist. But it does leave open this question for Leffler and Purdue. Are you going to vote on this bill? That Mitch McConnell is literally never going to bring for a vote. So he's created this. Will they or won't they? And it's totally unnecessary because there's nothing to to do or not do. So they shouldn't have to answer that question because it's not ever going to come up for a vote. I don't think McConnell is going to do that because it would blow a hole in the budget even bigger than what senators have already voted against. It's a very expensive fix that the president wants. Um, And the, the rest of that bill has so much in it that these senators can be happy about billions for public and private schools to deal with learning loss, billions for the CDC and states to start to distribute the vaccine, um, PPP for more small businesses, 
um, individual checks, at least $600 to adults, as well as a separate $600 check for each child in the home. So it is a, a significant, although certainly insufficient amount of relief for many people, but um, it, it, is, it, it has created this last minute drama that was not necessary for these senators to have to deal with. Okay, Julianne, uh, you may have noticed we've been talking about you and your friends in the Republican Party for the last couple of minutes. Uh, your nose must be itching. And we haven't given you a chance to uh, really weigh in on all this. So a couple of questions. What do you make of whether or not, is, is Galloway right in your opinion that they did dodge Leffler and Purdue a huge bullet and certainly they avoided a government shutdown, which couldn't have been good for their campaigns. But in terms of the president now setting a new goal, $2,000, uh, in terms of uh, the president's somewhat erratic behavior about all this, um, how does all of this impact the Leffler and Purdue campaigns? And what do you think Republican voters are making of all this, Julianne? Well, I do think Jim is right. I do think it would have been a, a big problem. Um for him to not sign the bill because people do need relief. They need relief now. And uh, that's that's universally believed, I think, by most Republicans. And of course, a government shutdown would have would have been devastating at this present time. But I think that Republican voters as a whole, I mean, a, a quick scan of social media over the past couple of days can among Republicans can uh, can easily show that most GOP voters were very disgusted with this bill and thought this bill was a joke or a disgrace in the first place. I mean, they agree with that. Um, they feel like the bill should have had the things that, that you talked about a moment ago, you know, the PPP, the checks, um, uh, you know, focus on, on education because so many children have had difficulties learning uh, remotely vaccine distribution, you know, helping local governments and hospitals with with all of that and, and CDC funding. Um, however, this bill also contained a massive amount of foreign aid. I mean, it was a lobbyist dream where that was concerned. And when you look at the amount of foreign aid that was part of this bill, the supposed COVID stimulus bill for the American people, and you look at that in comparison with the fact that households were being given $600, you think to yourself, my goodness, is that what the people are worth to Congress, knowing that through no fault of their own, people are suffering? I mean, absolutely people needed to get at a very minimum that $2,000 check. And I think that Republicans right. across the board agree with that. All right. I want to get you Mayor know. Davis in here in a sec. But Mayor Davis, yeah. before I get you in, I do want to make a point here that I think, you know, you know, Patricia a couple of minutes ago did a fact check. I think we should, too. Uh, the issue that Julianne is talking about is we have a combined bill here. We have a COVID relief bill and we have a continuing resolution to fund uh, the government. Uh, the money that President Trump is complaining about that's going overseas uh, that he says has nothing to do with COVID relief, he's right, uh, is not part of is not the COVID relief bill. It's money that the that the Trump administration asked to be put right. into the budget. Uh, and so it, I do understand how Republicans may see that as somehow short shrifting COVID relief. Uh, for foreign aid they don't want, but it is a different matter, Mayor. It not only is a different matter, but the reality of it is Republicans wanted the foreign aid. 
they championed that. And so to suggest that, you know, this, that this is a disgrace, uh, let's be clear. This is Mitch McConnell's bill. This is Mitch McConnell's legislation. And now Democrats have widely supported it because of the great need to get dollars into the hands of everyday Americans. You've got money in there. Yes, $600 for a family for that's $2,400 consistent with the previous uh, COVID relief bill that was sent out uh, and that first round of CARES Act funding. But you've got a host of other things that matter to people. Um, the moratorium on evictions, that's important to people. We've got unemployment benefits that will continue to flow into states across America. Uh, the challenge for us in Georgia is getting those dollars into Augustine's hands, getting them into uh, Muscogee Countyans. Uh, into the hands of Bibb Countyans. That's the challenge we've got in Georgia, and that is the Department of Labor making sure that they get those dollars into the hands of people. I've got some folks who still to this very day from March have not received their first unemployment checks. And so we've got a lot to be thankful for that the COVID relief bill was signed by the president. Those dollars will start flowing into states and communities across America. Uh, but make no mistake about it. This is a Republican piece of legislation. And for anyone to suggest, well, you know, we're short shrifting around four and eight. Well, that was, again, our Republican colleague. A quick response, Julianne. I am not disagreeing with anything that the mayor just said. And I am I am looking straight at uh, Republicans who did this, uh, you know, to blame. I, I do not believe that this that the CR should have been attached to the covid stimulus bill the way that it was. The COVID stimulus bill, these checks, uh, the PPP and everything concerning the COVID stimulus should have been a standalone bill. That is the problem with this. And that is the problem that a lot of Republicans had with this and believe that it should have, that the check should have been $2,000 and not $600. If we're going to have the type of CR that, that you discussed a few minutes ago um, and be able to give out that kind of foreign aid that, the people at the very least deserve to get that check for $2,000 because of something that is no fault of their own. So I don't disagree I with Patricia, what you're saying. I apologize. Patricia, last word, and we got to get to a break. Um, again, I think that the president set a fire that he put out himself. It, none of this was necessary. This was, he got, he did not get any concessions for the delay that he put in, and um, I think he put more of a spotlight on the Georgia senators than needed to be. Um, and uh, but I do think we're we are all on watch as uh, journalists as to what continues to come out of the White House over the next several days, um, because the Republican senators are are now in the position of having to respond to all of those things. So we'll we'll see how this we'll see how it uh, wraps up. All right, let me take the about. final break of the. <laughs> says Mayor Davis. We're going to take our final break of the show and be right back. <laughs> Julianne Thompson, Augusta Mayor uh, Hardy Davis, Jim Galloway, Patricia Murphy with us for today's political rewind. I want to turn to uh, several stories, Patricia, that have popped up in the last week or so that I know have raised questions for uh, voter integrity groups about what's happening with efforts to uh, tamp down on who can vote, even as soon as the runoff election. Uh, we already mentioned it. Jim, I think, mentioned the organization, the Texas group, True the Vote, which is working now with some Georgia Republicans to challenge 
the legitimacy of well over almost 400,000 Georgians, whether or not they have the right to vote uh, in the precincts where they're registered through the vote, says they've checked postal uh, uh, records that show that these people have moved since uh, they uh, uh, registered in those counties and therefore are ineligible to vote. That uh, is, a, and they're and they're going to uh, different counties around the state, asking the county officials, Republican officials, uh, get involved and sue uh, over this. So far, we think only two counties, Forsyth and Muskogee, have agreed to work with them. But this is a massive effort to uh, stop a huge number of people from voting in the November 5th election, which is already underway, Patricia. Uh, yes. All you have to do is look at how close the presidential election was uh, to know that a swing of 10,000 votes would easily make the difference. So when you're talking about a group of 400,000 potential voters, obviously that could have a meaningful difference. Um, I do think that uh, the, the judicial system here in Georgia has really been put in the role of um, almost uh, legislating, uh, getting directly involved uh, in how how the election is um, being, uh, how it's being executed, and then how it's being re-executed. Um, but I do also think that uh, the judicial system has held up quite well in terms of uh, the things that are being brought to it, going through accusations meaningfully and thoroughly, and making the very clear distinction between an accusation and evidence. And so um, in a lot of cases, this is going to come down to, I think, judges weighing this evidence and deciding whether there's anything behind these efforts. Um, and I think it's important for all voters to to really focus on the difference in the language between accusations and evidence, um, because there is such a huge difference. And if you go through all of the accusations that have been made um, in challenges to what happened in November, there has been no evidence. And so the difference between accusations and evidence is very important. And I think large efforts like this going into Election Day uh, can be damaging um, in a way that it uh, just continues to erode people's confidence in the vote. I think the place we're really going to start to see action is going to be in the legislature um, in, in 2021. We know there will be a lot of legislation coming forward that really could affect the number of Georgians voting. And that's yeah. something that we'll be, our team will be watching very, very carefully. Yeah, and we'll be watching it closely too. Jim, uh, fair fight. Uh, the uh, Stacey Abrams group has already challenged uh, True the Vote in uh, court and uh, we're waiting to see uh, what happens uh, there, Jim. Right, right, right. And if, uh, but but I think Trisha's, Patricia is right. It is that that uh, January 11, the first day of the 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 uh, 2021 session of the legislature is coming very, very quick, quickly. Uh, and as I think you mentioned earlier in the program, um, uh, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger has said he's 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 going to back a just a, a very, very serious uh, drawback on <coughs> excuse me, on absentee voting. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I think he is anticipating more than endorsing. Uh, he is he is not beloved uh, within the House chamber, uh, Raffensperger. Uh, the, the, he and the Speaker are in the middle of the f of a feud. I think I think Raffensperger was getting in front of an issue that he has no control of. Uh, but I I do think that's where the legislature, the Republicans in the legislatures are, are headed. They are going to end no excuse voting if they yeah, uh, if, if, if they possibly can. 
Sorry, Jim. Yeah, Mayor Davis, I, I, were you I, were you in the legislature when they passed no excuse voting? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, I think I was in the legislature during that time. I do remember again. 2006. Okay, that was right before I got there. I arrived in 2007, and uh, yeah, okay. there was a series of pieces of legislation uh, during uh, when Governor Kemp, former Secretary of State, was in office. Uh, that I was involved in as a member of the ethics committee and, uh, again, saw us go from 45 days to 21 days. Uh, the UACAVA, uh legislation around, you know, folks voting for military. But the challenge that we've got as it relates to legislative session is twofold. Uh, we will see uh, the majority party uh, take great steps to try to further suppress opportunities for people to go and vote. We have had uh, the uh, ability to go and vote in previous elections to include the election that Trump was elected president using these same laws that are on the books. Well, you come back after the legislative session and you're going to have redistricting taking place. So 2021 will be set up for a host of things that I think people should be, you know, really concerned about as we move into that time of where we've had the census this year. Uh, you're going to have conversations about redistricting, notwithstanding uh, the challenges to people's ability to go to the polls and cast a ballot uh, by mailing in. So uh, we should be really concerned. Julianne, everybody wants vote elections to be honest and accurate. I think that's safe to say it's a bipartisan concern. Um, but when you look at an organization like True the Vote, when you look at an effort to end no excuse absentee balloting, which has obviously expanded dramatically the number of people who vote in the state of Georgia, um, these do appear to be efforts. It would be easy to regard them as efforts to suppress primarily Democratic votes. Tell me, please, why that's a wrong impression. Let, let me just say this. May I come back to this in about 60 seconds? And the reason I ask is because my dog is barking hysterically <laughs> right now. We're in this you know, COVID situation <laughs> where, where we're doing this remotely, and I have a German Shepherd with a loud please bark. Please go do what you just, need. All right. She, someone just rang my doorbell, so that's the reason why she's barking. Julie, so I'll come back take, to this. Go in just take a care second. of it. Go take care of it, Julianne Thompson. Um, so let me uh, let me throw this out, Bill. Let me let me mention this. There are 18 states in America that only vote by mail, and to suggest that it's not safe, uh, that we should do everything that that the Republican-controlled legislature should come back and suppress that is just wrong. Patricia. Um, um, oh, Jim, do you want to say something? Uh, Go ahead, Jim, well, and then Patricia. Yeah, I want to, basically what I was, I was just going to point out the irony here that when, when Republicans uh, initiated no excuse voting, they did it for a very specific reason. They were at the same time they were requiring uh, – uh, they were passing voter ID legislation. And Democrats were taking them to the court, to court saying uh, they, were, they were putting uh, a, a terrific onus on, on the poor and the elderly who might not have photo ID. And they created no excuse voting – as a way 
to to as a as a kind of a a, a way for for judges to say, look, you you do have an, a way to vote without voter ID, uh, and and they were comfortable with that because at the time Republicans were the ones who were taking the most advantage of absentee votes. I think also, um, yeah, and you'll hear from Democrats that this is a solution to a problem that does not exist. Um, however, we do know that voter suppression is a problem in Georgia that does exist and has existed and was once the culture of this state. So I think it's very important to um, just be very cognizant of the history that's gotten us here. And thank goodness for Jim Galloway to give us the most recent history that got us here, because all of those details are going to be so important before people sign whole cloth onto the idea of, oh, yeah, it sounds shady. Let's not do it. It's so much more important and detailed and requiring context um, going forward. Julianne, I want to give you a chance to respond. I was just going to I was just going to say a few minutes ago, um, when we had um, absentee voting where you did have to give an excuse in the past, the excuses, uh, they accepted a lot of different excuses. It was not difficult to get an excuse so that you could do absentee voting. So I, I don't think that, that, I really do not believe that this is an attempt to suppress the Democratic vote. I believe it's a, an attempt to suppress any type of voting irregularities that could occur due to just a widespread opening of absentee balloting that we've seen. And I believe that that is where the Secretary of State and the legislature are looking at this, um, are looking at turning this around. And Republicans have been saying this for a while, um, but, you know, I, I guess my main question to the legislature is, you know, we've been talking about the dangers of this for a while, and we've been in control of the legislature for a while. Why are we now waiting until after the 2020 election when people have been concerned about absentee, the, the over amount of absentee voting? Why are we waiting until now to make a move on this? They should have done this before. Um, but, but that's my opinion on it. Well, just, let me Here, say this, quick Bill. response. Not only, yeah, absolutely. Let's let's be let's be reminded that Secretary of State Raffensperger sent out absentee ballot requests to every Georgian in June of this year. So it was okay then. Now it's a problem. Now uh, it's 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 just completely disingenuous uh, for us to be at this place that was unsolicited. The Secretary of State did it. So yeah, I'm. Thank you, Mayor Davis. You notice that I am completely out of time. Mayor Hardy Davis, loved having you on the show today. Julianne Thompson, a pleasure to have you back as well. Patricia Murphy, Jim Galloway, I know especially you two could go on talking about these issues brilliantly for another hour. Unfortunately, we're out of time for today's Political Rewind. Thank you all so much for being back with us. I'm so grateful to you. I know Jesse Neiswanger, Amelia Brock, and Sam Burmes-Dawes are happy that you're with us again, too. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Until then, I'm Bill Nygut. Take care. Stay healthy. Wear a mask. And if you haven't voted yet, think about doing it pretty soon. See you tomorrow.